We're concluding our series, The Elements of Renewal, and next week we're going to jump into the book of Ruth for Advent. But in this series, we've looked at the things that God's people have emphasized while they experienced a profound sense of His presence and how they participated in the pouring out of His presence in the world. And today we close with a topic that theologians refer to as disenculturation, which is really just freedom from culture. But I will say this, everything that we've learned up in this, in this, to this point in this series is really important. Absolutely it is. But everything moving forward can fall on its face if we get this topic wrong. In order for us, if you're a follower of Jesus, in order for you to spread the gospel, the good news of how through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, God is bringing the world back to its original intention— We have to be able to adapt the gospel to our culture without being swallowed up by it. So our goal should be to be involved in culture enough to make disciples of it without being made disciples of it. See the difference? We need to be involved enough where we can make disciples but not be made disciples by our culture. So someone here who shall remain nameless made a joke that I only do sports and office references and analogies in my sermons. So this is a different one for you who shall remain nameless. Have you ever seen the movie What About Bob? With Bill Murray and Richard Dreyfus. So there's this awesome scene that you see a picture of right here where Bob is afraid to go sailing. And Bob's afraid of everything, though, right? Bill Murray's afraid of everything. But they, what they do is, you see here, they tie him to the mast with rope. And I guess somehow they tie life preservers to his ankles in some weird fashion. And they completely tied him to the mast. And the funny part of this whole scene is how he's shouting out the whole time, I'm sailing! I'm a sailor! I sail! This is a funny illustration, but as a serious point. My concern for us when it comes to culture is that many of us think we're sailing the boat when the boat's sailing us. We're actually tied to the boat, and we're claiming that we're the ones steering it. Too many Christians believe that we are discipling our culture when in fact our culture is discipling us but we aren't called to abandon it when we come to that realization. We're called to transform it. So the gospel frees us to break from our culture and to change the way we express the gospel for our culture. And the way we do that is, yes, one, by breaking from the culture, but then we have to move towards the culture to transform it. And when we do that, we have freedom in the gospel to change its form, to change its expression, to change its medium without changing its message or its substance. And by doing so, we actually will bless the culture we're called to. So we're freed in the gospel of three things, to serve our culture, contextualize for our culture, and bless our culture. So first, Look what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 9, how we're free to serve our culture. Verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all 
that I might win more of them. See, what's hap- what Paul's saying here is that the gospel frees us to break from our culture so we can serve our culture. So do you remember the original Nintendo, the original NES? All right, now we got video game illustrations, you who shall remain nameless. A video game illustration. Now, young people, before online gameplay, there was this awesome thing called the reset button. And like, so say, for instance, you're playing Tecmo football and you start losing because you foolishly picked the Eagles, right, <laughs> instead of the Giants or like the Raiders and had like Bo Jackson just like destroy people, right? And Bo Jackson's running you over. You can't make a tackle. You can hit the reset button, go back into the game and try again. What the gospel does for us is this, that Jesus, through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, God is bringing the world back to its original intention of peace, love, security, confidence, strength, endurance. That the that go back, what it does is it gets us back in the game so we can try to win people for, in our culture. So we have to break from our culture, hit the reset button, go back into our culture to try and win it. Too many Christians, we go, we hit the reset button, we don't go back into culture. That's not the point. The point is to go get out of it, break out of it, to go back into it. So in 1 Corinthians 8, what Paul does, he speaks about this to this controversy in the Corinthian church. His whole question is, should Christians eat food sacrificed to idols? Some said yes, and others said no. Now, that might not feel, we might not feel that tension as Christians today, right? Because most of us just don't know where our food comes from. We just go to Acme, and somehow it magically has appeared there. But maybe a better illustration for those of us who are Christians would be, what would we do here at Liberty if Hugh Hefner gave us a sizable donation? What would we do? Some of us would say, take it. Let's take it. We're free in the gospel, take it. And so others go, I don't really like where that money came from. See, the controversy isn't the money itself. The controversy is the source of the money. So the same thing for the food. The food itself isn't the controversy. The source of the food is the controversy, and that's coming from pagan worship. And so Paul then, he says that God, that God in Christ made all foods clean. You know, you think back maybe to Acts chapter 10, where Peter's take, like laying down on his roof, and all of a sudden he sees a vision, right, in Acts chapter 10, and how Christ says that all foods are clean. So Paul said he would eat the food sacrificed to idols because the gospel frees him to do so. But because he's so concerned with the unity in the community of believers, because he's so concerned about unity, you know what he then says? He says, I will surrender my rights for my brother. I have every right to eat food sacrificed to idols, but I will surrender that right for my brother or sister in the Lord. So in chapter 9, he then turns there and he says the same is true about being paid for preaching the gospel. He says people who preach the gospel should be paid. It's his right to get paid, he says. And he, but he says, I surrender my right by not making a fuss about it. Why? For the sake of the unity of the Corinthian Christians. So Paul can then say in the verse we just read that I am free from all because he's able to put his rights and his freedoms aside so he can win others to Christ. Listen to me. The gospel freedom doesn't just give you certain rights. It also frees you from having to use them. 
the gospel frees you and gives you certain rights in Jesus, but also in that freedom frees you from saying, I must use these. It actually frees you to say, I don't have to use them. So he tells us that we're freed from culture so we can go into culture to serve culture. Picking up again in verse 20. He says, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. The law of Christ is Christ's ethical teachings. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. Paul breaks from his culture to go after certain cultures for Christ. Jews, those under the law, those are God-fearing Gentiles who converted to Judaism. He, he, to those under the law, that's Gentiles. He says, to Gentiles, I became a Gentile. Or to the weak, those who can't in good conscience eat food sacrificed to idols. He says, I eat like them to reach them with the gospel. Because Paul's heart is so full with, of the gospel, he can break from culture to serve culture. So we must break, first break from culture, but we can only really go back into culture when our hearts are full of the gospel. So Richard Lovelace says this in his book that we've been basing this sermon series off of. He says, when men's hearts are not full of God, they become full of the world around like a sponge full of clear water that's been squeezed empty and thrown into a mud puddle. So if your heart's not full of the gospel, if it's not full of God, it'll be like an empty sponge. And then when you get, throw it back into culture, it will soak up all the mud. Rather, our hearts need to be full of the goodness of God and the gospel where when we're thrown back in the mud, we can't help it, our sin will, will soak up a little bit, but there's not much room for it. So we aren't called to avoid culture, we're called to live in it, but if your heart isn't drenched and overflowing with the gospel, you'll be like an empty sponge, and when you get thrown into the cultural mud, you'll just soak it all up. So Paul says in Romans 12, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The gospel frees us from something, but also for something. The gospel frees us from sin, death, and the devil, but it doesn't just free us so we can do whatever we want. Instead, it frees us to be who we're really meant to be, free for service for, to God and to others. But if our heart is filled with the cultural mud, if your heart is filled with the cultural mud, you'll see... You'll never be able to experience that freedom to serve others because you'll be too busy with the freedom to serve yourself. And the form that will take will be all about your rights, your wants, and your needs. And the dominant cultures that are at play around us are the cultures of the left and the right. On the left... You have self-expression. That's what the left is about, self-expression. 
So the form freedom takes there is wrapped up in slogans you might hear like my body, my choice, or doing whatever we want with our bodies sexually. Now the Bible does say that God has created each person with inherent dignity, value, and worth. But remember what idols are? We've talked about this before. Idols are good things that have become ruling things. And the left takes the good thing of the body and makes it a ruling thing. It makes the good thing of expression a ruling thing, and that is ultimately an idol. So instead of freedom taking the forms of the form of giving up my body in service to others, like giving up my hands to serve the poor or my sexuality to serve my spouse, we use them to serve ourselves. But on the right, the form freedom takes on the right is self-autonomy. I should be allowed to do whatever I want. Say whatever I want believe whatever I want, use my money for whatever I want, and the government should back off. Now, God does place limits on government. It's absolutely true. But it's God who places the limit on the government, not you and me. So instead of using my freedom in the gospel to pray for the governing authorities, as Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 2, or to pay my taxes without complaining, as Romans 13, 7 says, the idol of self-autonomy reveals that I'm simply rebellious. See, both sides, left and right, are really just two pigs swimming in the same cultural mud of individualism. See, the driving substance remains the same even if the forms take different shapes. See, the, the left exp- expresses freedom and its form of freedom is different than the one on the right, but both are driven by the idol of individualism. Both aren't really saying anything different. Both are under the belief that my life will flourish most if I am at the center of it. When the gospel says your life will flourish most when Jesus is at the center of it. And if you look at our world, you know intuitively the way of the gospel is better than individualism. What's better, what has a better chance of creating a beautiful, flourishing society where everyone's thinking of themselves or when everyone's thinking about each other? Which has a better chance? One that encourages consumeristic or miserly attitudes towards our finances? Or one where people take seriously Jesus' command to be generous, to give without expecting anything in return, to give to the poor, to care for others, to give to nonprofits, to give to organizations, to give to churches? Which one's better? Which creates a better society? Which one would create a more flourishing society? One where everyone's using their freedom to sleep around? Contributing to the growing number of unwanted, single, or unwanted pregnancies or single mothers or teen moms. More sexual hurt and more sexual guilt and shame. Or one where our bodies are sacrificed for each other, particularly for our spouses in committed marriage. Which one will create a more flourishing society? I think intuitively you know the gospel will. 
See, the right and left's forms may look different, but the substance is the same. And guys, I'm pleading with you to realize that. They're two pigs in the same cultural mud. Don't buy into it that they're different. They're the same. It's individualism at the core where I am the one who's at the center of my life and my life will flourish as long as I am at the center of it instead of Jesus. And if your substance is individualism, the form your freedom takes will be self-expression or self-autonomy, and you'll never be able to do what Paul says here. You'll never be able to put your rights aside to care for others because at some point, serving someone else will encroach on your self-expression or self-autonomy. At some point, it will. And if you can't get what you want or exercise your rights or I'm not able to do that, I'll convince myself that I won't be able to flourish by serving them. So I'll back out. So then our only choice is to put conditions on who we serve and how we serve. And then our relationships become transactional, don't they? So you clean the house or compliment your spouse so they'll be intimate with you. Because it's about you flourishing, not them flourishing. You can't serve them without expecting anything back. It becomes transactional. Or at least they should let you go out with your friends whenever you want. Or you spend time with a grieving friend only if it's not going to be a bummer on your day or damper on your day. Well, yeah, I'll spend time with my grieving friend as long as, you know, like, they're not going to be too, there's not going to be too much crying. Or at least as long as it fits in my schedule that day. Or you join a serving team at church only if it's convenient. Wait, I got I to gotta wake up earlier and be here? I got to be here 30 minutes early, 45 minutes early? Only when we break from the substance of our culture can we truly serve our culture. Only when you break from serving your needs can you serve your wife's needs. Only when you break from serving your schedule can you go out of your way to serve and care for a grieving friend. Only when you break from your serving your wants can you serve at church. So we break from our culture's substance of individualism and we're freed from the forms of self-expression and self-autonomy so we can now take on a different substance, the gospel, when, when the gospel becomes our driving substance, when it becomes what we're about, where Jesus is the center, we're freed for forms that don't serve us, but serve others. So we're freed to contextualize for culture, which is what Paul says at the end of verse 22, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. The way we serve culture is contextualize the gospel for culture. Now, contextualization is a big word, but I believe you can handle it. The gospel, in contextualization, the gospel is a driving substance. Jesus is at the center. And what happens is I'm freed from culture and now I'm looking to serve others by putting the gospel in forms they can understand. That's what contextualization is. It says, take the gospel and put it into forms and language and expression that people can understand and appreciate so that I can win people from different cultures to Christ. 
So Tim Keller talks about this book in his book, Center Church. He says, contextualization is not, as is often argued, giving people what they want to hear. Rather, it's giving people the Bible's answers, which they may not at all want to hear, to questions about life that people in their particular time and place are asking in languages and forms that they can comprehend and through appeals and arguments with force they can feel even if they reject them. So what if we applied that to Paul? What's Paul saying when he's talking about contextualizing culture? He said, for instance, for Jews, to win Jews to Christ, I serve them by giving them the, answer, the Bible's answers to a Jewish person's questions about life. What are they asking about life? And I did it in language and form that Jews can comprehend through appeals and arguments with force Jews can feel even if they reject it. And he does the same for whatever culture he's in. We might remember Paul's argument with Peter in Galatians 2. The issue there is that Peter was afraid to break from his own culture and went back to serving his own Jewish culture rather than the Gentile culture that the Galatians were trying to, that the Galatian culture that the, Paul and the missionaries were trying to reach. See, we serve our culture by changing the form, not the substance. The substance still needs to be the same. Jesus still needs to be at the center, but we are then freed like changing our clothing to fit the occasion. We can change the gospel's form, or you might say its medium, without changing its substance, its message. The substance is still good. And so long as the gospel is the substance, we can be free to change the form. So churches are free to change the form of the gospel to reach culture. Music styles, types of seating, the way we dress for church, the Bible translations we use to win people for Christ. Like there's a reason why none of our Bible verses are in Latin. Right? Because you don't speak Latin. And neither do I. I took it in high school, but that's a whole other story for another day. You look at a church that also meets here on Saturday evenings, Rock of Israel. They act like Russian-speaking Jews to win Russian-speaking Jews. We're not called to reach Russian-speaking Jews. So we act more like general Northeast Philadelphians to reach more general Northeast Philadelphians. That's what we are. But the gospel frees us to do that. So in the gospel, we, we, you should be culturally involved. You should be culturally passionate. But make sure you're winning people to Christ, not your culture. So learn to speak the language of someone on the right to win those on the right. Sorry, this is your right. Some, win somebody on the left. You need to know their language to win people on the left. But could you communicate the gospel to someone on the other side of the culture in order to win them to Christ? Could you actually do that? If you're on the right, could you actually reach somebody on the left and not convert them to the right, but convert them to Jesus? And vice versa. If you're on the left, could you convert somebody on the right to Jesus, not convert them to the left? Could you use language they understand? Could you use forms that they would appreciate? Do you know the heartbeat of the left so you can win them to Christ? Do you know the heartbeat of the right, so you can win them to Christ? In order to do that, you have to break from your own culture. 
Serving them in the gospel it looks, is by learning their forms, learning their heartbeat, to be able to communicate the gospel in such a way that they'll listen to you, and then they'll, they'll, it will open the door to win them away from the substance of individualism and to Christ. And when we talk about win, it's not like win is a word that we, like winning a prize. It's like winning an investment. See, what Paul is trying to drive at is that God in Jesus invested everything in us. Jesus broke from his culture in heaven and changed his form. Do you ever wonder why Jesus came as a first century person? To win first century people. He came as a poor person to win the poor. He preached the gospel in Aramaic to win Aramaic speakers. He learned the trade of a carpenter to win tradesmen. He wore rags to win rag wearers. He worshiped Yahweh to win Yahweh worshipers. And sometimes he acted as one under the law. Sometimes he acted as one outside of the law to win those under and outside the law. And then he went to the cross, made a sinner to win sinners like you and me. See, Jesus broke from his culture to win you. So you can break from your culture to be people for our culture, to win people to him. And when we do that, we bless our culture. We're freed to bless the culture. Paul says in verse 23, I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them its blessings as people freed from culture for culture, we can actually bless culture. When it's not about you as the center, but Jesus as the center, where it's not about your rights and your wants or your needs, but what Jesus wants, what Jesus says people need, you end up sharing with them in the blessings of the gospel in the same way that you've been blessed by Jesus who became a sinner to reach a sinner like you. You can then bless them by being like them, to win them. And we bless our culture first and foremost by just by being freed. Some of us need to just give our life to Jesus. That's the first step to be break from your culture, is to say, actually, Jesus, my life is no longer going to be the center. You're going to be the center. And I'm going to break from this now. Another way to do that is to serve whatever culture that you're in. Our cultures are as big as things like the left and right. They're as big as things like ethnicities, but they're as small as your home or your workplace or your neighborhood. And I would suggest starting there. Contextualize to your spouse by doing what they want instead of what you want. Try it. Try for a week. Guarantee if you try to do what they want rather than what you want, life will be a lot better. And if both of you are trying that, it'll be a little confusing at times. You'll probably watch more Hallmark movies, guys, than you would normally want to watch. But you know what? And ladies, you might watch some action movies you may not want to watch. But guess what? You'll be drawn closer together because you're saying, I don't need to be at the center. Jesus is. Or by pursuing your kids' hearts. Have you contextualized to your kids and figured out what they want to do? 
Do you fear, do you, have you thought about how to express the gospel in the way that they'll hear it? Not how you would like to hear it, how they would like to hear it. Have you heard about what's going on in their lives so you can address their questions with the Bible's answers? Or are you expecting them to understand it the way you understand it? Or invite a neighbor to Thanksgiving and ask them what foods they would like to eat? Hey, here's what I'm making. What would you like to eat? Is that okay? What can I get you? Because I found recently not everybody eats turkey on Thanksgiving. That was news to me because I talked to somebody. Or follow up with a co-worker about how their sick family member is doing and offering to pray for them. That's contextualizing, saying, hey, I see what's going on. I see the things, the needs that you have. I see the questions you're asking. Here, can I pray for you? Let's go to Jesus for those answers. But we have to do, what we have to do is be soaked in God and the gospel. We have to be reading scripture. That's a must. We have to be reading gospel-centered books. We have to be listening to gospel-centered preaching. And we have to soak all that up so our hearts have no more room for the cultural mud. So when we go into the culture, all we are is like seeping out Jesus all over the place. Are you ever like a soaking wet sponge and just throw it on the counter and just like splatters everywhere? Wouldn't that be awesome? It's like, Evan's a sponge, go to work, splatters everywhere, Jesus all over the place. That's what we're talking about. But you got to soak it up. you got to soak that up. Otherwise, you'll be a dry sponge soaking up the mud. And here's my challenge to all of us. Listen more, talk less. And I'm speaking to myself because I'm a talker. But I need to listen more. We can't listen to culture if we're always the ones talking. When Carl Truman says this, he says, Every age has had its darkness and its dangers. The task of the Christian is not to whine about the moment in which he or she lives, okay, but to understand its problems and respond appropriately to them. Listen. Listen to culture. Listen to what culture is saying online, on TV, and watch the forms of self-expression and self-autonomy rooted in the substance of individualism rear its ugly head. But also walk around your neighborhood. Try to understand the culture just by looking. Simple things like if there's a slide or trampoline in the yard probably means that there's kids there. Or if there's an alarm sign on the lawn probably means that Neighborhood, if there's a lot of those, probably means that neighborhood really cares about safety. How do you engage people like that with the gospel who are really concerned about safety? They're worried about their families and their, that their possessions and their kids and their homes. But be involved in the culture around you. So when you get to know the people around you and you hear their questions about life, you hear how they talk, you know the appeals and the arguments that are felt by them, even if they reject the gospel. But be involved. Like kids and dogs are great ways to open up conversations in the gospel. Because people just start talking to you because you have a kid there or because you're walking your dog. It's a great way. Walk your dog around the neighborhood and see who talks to you. Or get involved in like the local civic association or put your kids in rec leagues like the local rec leagues. Let them play there. And imagine, imagine all the parents you'll meet if you just break out of your culture for a moment, break away from your phone, for instance, and actually talk to someone. But this whole sermon series will fall flat on its face if we don't get this right. 
And so if we're going to win people for Christ, which we're called to do as Christians, we need to be freed from the idols in our own culture in order to serve the culture around us and contextualize the gospel for a culture. We've got to find the expressions and the forms and the mediums that would make sense to our culture and to share with them in the blessings of the gospel. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for you as you go out this week and you're engaging in culture. And I'm sure some culture is going to find you around the Thanksgiving table as well. But that you'll be able to break from your own to listen to others even around those tables. So let's, let's pray. And before we dive into prayer, I just want to give you a second. If you're here today and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus. And you have been living for yourself and you've been the center of your life. I just want to give you a moment to silently just ask Jesus for forgiveness. To give up any way you've been holding back from him and being rebellious, whatever it might be. But just take a moment to just pray to him silently. And for the rest of us, Father, those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, we ask that we would be like Jesus to serve those around us. That we would take the words of 1 Corinthians 9 seriously to to break from our culture to win our culture to Christ. And help us to listen better, to talk less. Help us to pursue the cultures in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, to understand it and share the gospel there too.